Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepypastas, short scary stories, and dark horror-themed poetry from all across the world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 52, Angel in the Snow. I'm your host and narrator, Ghost Train, telling you to lock your doors, get under your blanket, and keep the lights on. If you'd like to discuss all things horrific and spooky with me, you can find the links to my social media accounts in the show notes. And if you'd like to write in and have your email read on the show, email slaughterhousestoriespodcast at gmail.com with creepypasta requests, stories you've written, or your own real-life paranormal encounters. Before we get to tonight's first story, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please head over and leave a review through iTunes and help spread the word to your friends, family, the ghost in the cemetery, following you. Whomever, tell them, be a listener, not a victim. Now, let's get spooky. Welcome to tonight's show, releasing about one day short of our one year anniversary. It's been a fun year in the podcast, filled with stories that were terrifying, but a little less so than what's actually going on in the world. So hopefully for a few minutes every week, I could give you something different to be scared by and let you take your mind off the real world. And I'm going to try to continue that tonight. So, let's get into tonight's first story. This one, about two girls trying to enjoy a card game on the porch when things take a tragic turn. What happens? Will these girls survive a game of chance? Let's find out together while you listen to Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades is known as the Death Card. Nobody knows why it became associated with death, but most cultures believe that the Ace of Spades is a bad omen. Two young girls, named Nicole and Tamara, were sitting in their backyard one evening. They were passing their time playing cards at the garden table. It was getting dark and the moon was visible in the night sky. There was a forest and a swamp behind their house, and the wind was blowing softly through the trees. The girls were just about to start a new game when a tall man appeared from the darkness. The two girls had never seen the man before and as he came shuffling through the long grass and approached them, they felt a little afraid. I see you two are playing cards, he said. The girls nodded. Mind if I join you, he asked. I can teach you a new game. Tamara shook her head. Her mother had always warned her not to talk to strangers. Besides, the man looked very creepy. But the other girl said, Okay, I suppose. It's kind of boring just playing with two people. Show us your new game. Tamara nudged her and whispered in her ear, I don't want to play with him. 
Let's just go inside. Come on, Nicole laughed. Stop being such a baby. Stay here. Don't you want to learn a new card game? Reluctantly, Tamara agreed to stay. The tall man picked up the deck of cards and began shuffling them. I don't know if you will like this game, he said, grinning broadly. But I know I will enjoy it immensely. He dealt the cards, one to each of the girls and one to himself. Tamara's card slid off the table and fell face up on the ground. It was the Ace of Spades. When Tamara bent down to pick it up, she saw that the man wasn't wearing any shoes. His legs were long and hairy, and his toenails were curled. A chill went down her spine. Holding the ace of spades in her hand, she began to feel very frightened. She began tugging at her friend's blouse and begged her to leave. Nicole refused and dismissed her with a wave of her hand. Tamara ran into the house and locked the door behind her. She scrambled up the stairs and into her bedroom. Grabbing her phone, she called the police. When they arrived a few minutes later, Tamara answered the front door and led them out to the backyard. When they got to the table, they found Nicole's dead body laying underneath it. The poor girl had been torn in half. The chair on which she had been sitting was covered in blood. A note had been placed on the table. It read, You were saved from death by the Ace of Spades. Well, didn't you get lucky, human? That game of chance robbing the stranger of both his victims. Perhaps next time, there'll be better luck of the draw, and he'll get to claim both of them. Let's have a shuffle. Let's see what I get. Oh. Well, it's a good thing I'm already dead. While I continue dealing cards to see what fate awaits you humans, let's move to the next story of the night. This one, written by Spirit Voices, is a letter from a very special creature to a very special little boy talking about the past and the present and what the future could hold. Settle in and relax while you listen to Dear Theodore. Dear Theodore, I'm the monster hiding under your bed. Personally, I think monster is a bit of a harsh word, but that's what you call me, so that's what I choose to go by. To make it clear though, I go by many names beyond you. Night Stalker is one. The Shadow Man is another. I think I also may have accidentally started a few legends without meaning to. Would you believe that Bigfoot may have just been me taking a stroll through the woods? Truly, depending on who sees me, any human can imagine something different. So far, I like your imagination the best. As I'm writing this, you're six years old. For all six, I've been under your bed. I followed you from the NICU and listened to your crying all the way home from the hospital. I admit that the crib was harder to squeeze myself under, but I managed. I'm grateful you've since upgraded to a big boy bed. It's a lot easier on my back. As you've grown, you leave the house more and more. I'd forgotten that children go to school so young until I heard you return, excitedly rambling to your ignorant parents about the things you'd learned. Mrs. Thomas sounds so nice from what you say. I approve of her, for now. Anyone can sound nice coming from you though. 
because you tend to see the best in people. It's a quality that gives me hope. This world needs more people with infinite optimism like yours. And you can quote the big scary night monster on that. You even try to find good things in me. When the moon casts a hideous mix of shadows and light into your room, and the fear of my very presence makes you tremble, I hear you whisper to me, I'm scared. Are you scared too? It's clear that you don't know who you're talking to. To you, I am nothing but a nameless creature with no aim or purpose, just an undetermined maliciousness. You don't even seem to know what I would hypothetically do to you should you fall asleep while I'm around. In the daytime, you think you're safe from me. Do you think shadows simply disappear, little one? If I wanted to hurt you, I would. You drew me once when you were four. The crumpled paper ended up under the bed with me. You've never truly seen me, and your art skills were underdeveloped to say the least. So of course there were a few inconsistencies. Your illustration depicted a haphazard gray scribble with pointed teeth and horns, and too many claws to count, almost like a sickly demonic porcupine. I couldn't help but be amused by what I saw. I won't say you were completely wrong. I suppose I mention all this because I know you know nothing about me, but I know so, so much about you. In fact, I'd like to think that I know you better than you know yourself. I know that you don't like vegetables, but will eat any fruit place in front of you. I know that your favorite cereal is Reese's Puffs, even though you rarely get to eat them. I know that you only know one curse word, but you're afraid to say it out loud. I know that you want to be a firefighter, but two months ago, you wanted to be a construction worker, and you will end up being neither. I know the names of all your friends, and which ones will turn out to betray you in the future. I know the names of your first and second girlfriends, and your first and only boyfriend. I know you love your parents, even though they hurt you. I know the age at which you'll die. I also know how to stop it. Though I do know a lot of things, I'm not sure when this letter will reach you. In fact, I'm not sure you will ever read it. I wish I could say that I was positive you'd understand why I'm about to do what I plan to do, and that you'd support my decision when you grow older. But the truth is, I don't know if you ever will. The only thing I'm 100% clear on is that I won't regret doing what I'll do to them. They deserve the punishment they'll receive. Because at night, when the tree branches look like giant claws at your window, and the darkness seems to be moving in closer, I know it's not me you're truly afraid of. Deep inside, in a place your mind cannot yet access, you're afraid of your parents. I'm scared. Are you scared too? You ask a question, not over the sounds of me, but over them. They fight and spat like wild animals, a never-ending cyclone of neglect and anger. You have no idea how they act when you're gone, flourishing in the temporary safety that classroom brings you. You cannot yet fathom the amount of pain they will bring you. When they realize you become too old to coddle and just old enough to treat you like they treat each other. You'd be so good without them, much better off, I assure you. It'll hurt for a while, but you're still so young. The pain will fade, and then you'll be free. Free from their chaos and self-destruction and abuse. You'll be able to live the life you want with no one to hold you back. One day, if you read this, 
You'll understand why I took them away from you. I hope then that you'll thank me. I hope the nightmares of your parents' blood will slowly fade into a background hum, replaced by that endless optimism I know you hold so close. And when that day comes, I hope you realize that I care for you more than they ever did. Eternally yours, the monster still under your bed. See, once again it's proven that you humans are the true monsters. Those of us spooky motherfuckers get a bad rap. Let's ignore the ones that kill and eat humans and things like that. My point still stands. Now that Theodore is safe and you victims, I mean listeners, are checking under your bed for letters or monsters, let me give you this week's recommendation. This week, I'm going to recommend book two of Christopher Moore's Vampires in San Francisco Trilogy. You suck. A love story. Being undead sucks. Literally. Just ask C. Thomas Flood. Waking up after a fantastic night, unlike anything he's ever experienced. He discovers that his girlfriend, Jody, is a vampire. And, surprise, now he's one too. For some couples, the whole biting and blood thing would have been a deal breaker. But Tommy and Jody are in love. And they've had to work through their issues. But word has it that the vampire who initially nibbled on Jody wasn't supposed to be recruiting. Even worse, Tommy's turkey bowling pals are out to get him at the urging of a blue-dyed Las Vegas call girl named Blue. And that really sucks. This is my favorite author, and his books are always very entertaining. So go wherever you get books and pick up You Suck, A Love Story. Now that I've given you this week's recommendation, Let's take a trip down to open mic night at Beazel Pub. Welcome, fiends, to open mic night at Beazel Pub, where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear. Poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts. All the things that scare you the most. To open things tonight, the pub is a poem about someone meeting a little girl, but things aren't as they seem. In the last poem of the night, by Zalrog T. Apocalypse, is an ode to the things that go bump in the night, to the cryptids, to the spooky. Lean back, close your eyes, let the rhymes carry you to another realm, and enjoy, may I sit here, and pale walkers. May I sit here? The little girl stares at me. She does not reply. Does she notice me? The little girl screams with delight. What does she want? The little girl is crawling towards me. Her eyes are an innocent gray. Her hair is as black as the shadows. Her dress is as blue as the sky. Her body seems frail. The little girl is walking towards me. She licks her lips. She stares into my eyes. My body is frozen with fear. The little thing is running towards me. My screams of terror will not be heard. Maybe it was just a dream. I awake on what seems to be a bench. But why can't I open my eyes?
We are the few things under light of the moon, walking pale in the night to our dissonant tune. Be us one, be us many, our pace shall not yield, lest the break of the dawn arrive soon. We are who walk without reason or rhyme, without purpose or fear, to the temple bells chime. We are children of night, and forever shall be, as we've been since the dawn of our time. We are who thrive in your fear and regret, paranoia and loss, and anxiety wet, appetitious thoughts of what's promised to come, at the moment your precious suns set. We are the many and we are the one, we are darkness incarnate, what daywalkers shun. We are brokers of fright, but don't misunderstand. What we do, we do only for fun. We are not evil, and we are not good. We do only as night has commanded we should. We are children of night, denizens of the dark, acting only as denizens would. We've none the fears that bind daywalkers so, for a pale walker's kin are your objects of woe. A befriender of slender, caretaker to rake. For if one's a pale walker, all know. We have no doubt whether one is our own. There was never such thing as a pale one unknown. And yet, brazen and foolish day walkers charade, unaware of the seeds that they've sown. We laugh at those who sleep still through the night. And we laugh at those fearful, denying their fright. All those foolhardy souls taking light of our world find themselves in a miserable plight. There are none born pale walkers as we, but there's no great reward without greater a fee. We are children of night, and if such is your right, you yourself may a pale one be. We are the shadows that haunt people's dreams, and the feeling that tells you all's not as it seems. We are one, we are all, and despite what is said, we're the chosen few fate redeems. We are the primal, the soulful, in part, and no walker of day shares our glorious art. Let them bask in their light, in their warmth, for you see, it is we, the more human at heart. A ghostly little girl to start things off. How spooky. Speaking of spooky, what a wonderful tribute to the spooky. However, I didn't hear one fucking thing about me. Am I not the spooky motherfucker? It's fine. I'm not bitter. But while I wipe my tears, let's get out of the pub, get back home, and get to the last story of the night. The first episode of the show featured a story by Jay Deshen, and it's only fitting that the one-year anniversary feature one as well. This story about two friends reconnecting and enjoying time together. The wine is flowing and they are laughing. But when a question about the cemetery next door comes up, things aren't quite so funny anymore. Let's find out together what causes mood to shift as you relax, ignore the ghosts watching you, and enjoy Angel in the Snow. In college, I was a bit of a goth chick. Well, more than a bit. I was in it deep. Luckily, so was my roommate, Tara. We hit it off immediately, quickly discovering our shared love of all things dark and creepy. Music, TV shows, fashion, you name it. 
We called ourselves the goth girlies. No joke. It's a little cringy now, but we all do stupid things when we're young. Tara was my roommate throughout most of undergrad, and we kept in touch after graduation, watching each other's lives unfold, mostly via social media. Just last summer, Tara bought a house right next to a cemetery. I was absolutely ecstatic for her. We always talked about how cool it would be to live in a quiet suburb next to a sprawling graveyard instead of the bustling gray metropolises we both come from. I was still hopelessly stuck in mine. The downside of being a working actress is a necessary evil that is city life. But Tara had finally managed to achieve her dream. I knew she would one day. Being the friend that she is, she was kind enough to invite me up for a visit. I wanted so badly to go, but that same summer, I was just about to embark on my first national tour, and so I had no choice but to refuse. That kept me busy all through that summer, and on into the fall and winter. That next spring, when it finally looked like the worst of the northern snows might be over, Tara extended the invitation one more time. This time, I was mercifully free to accept. Oh my god, I said when I first arrived. The place was even more spectacular than the pictures on Facebook had led me to believe. It was straight out of a gothic novel. Investment banking is really working out for you, isn't it? She blushed and rolled her eyes. Shut up and come here, you. She said as she threw her arms around me and squeezed. It was nice to hug an old friend. Her little dog, Mocha, who up to this point had been sitting by very quietly and obediently, suddenly decided I was a bit too close to his mama and began pawing lightly at my leg. I laughed and knelt down to give him some well-deserved scratches. These seemed to satisfy him, and he graciously left us girls to our conversation. So, I said, once the wine had been poured, I'm sure you know what I'm curious about. What? Tara asked, seeming genuine in her curiosity. Oh, only that vast collection of corpses that's practically right in your backyard. I thought she'd bubble over and start telling me a million stories about her exploration of the place. But that was not what happened. Instead, her smile disappeared. She went completely silent and even looked a little worried. Tara, I said, what is it? Are you okay? Yeah, she said. I'm fine. She paused. I just think, well, maybe living next to a graveyard wasn't the best idea. I was stunned. Are you kidding? We used to talk about this all the time. This was one of your life goals, dude. I know, she said. That's what makes this so disappointing. What's disappointing? I asked. Is the cemetery too recent? I know you like the old ones. No, she said abruptly. It's not like that. She fell silent again. I'm not sure you'd believe me if I told you. Try me, I implored. Part of me was excited, expecting to hear a spooky story. But somewhere deep inside, my concern was growing. She took a deep breath and began. I was excited to live here. You're right. I love old cemeteries. And I've always wanted to have easy access to one. But I don't go there anymore. I can't. It would be so convenient if I could. Now I have to drive across town to the park just to toss a ball with Mocha. Why? I asked. What happened? She hesitated before going on. Everything was fine until the first really good snowfall, she said. Back then... Yeah, I would just take Mocha over to the cemetery for his walks and to run around. On this particular day, it had just snowed the night before, and so Mocha and I seemed to be the only ones in the whole place, or 
the only living things, I guess. I decided it wouldn't hurt to let Mocha off his leash to run around for a bit, so I did, and he took off like a shot. I could barely keep up with him. It was like he was hot on the trail of something. Finally, he stopped long enough for me to catch up with him, but where he stopped, he had gone right up to a particular grave. It was a child's grave, a little girl, Emily, I think her name was. I don't remember the dates, but she died sometime in the late 1800s. She was only six or seven. Her tombstone was one of the nicer ones, one of those obelisk-style tombstones with a beautiful little angel standing right on top of it with its arms outstretched. I remember thinking it was funny that the snow had piled up just right on the angel's head and it looked like it was wearing an elf's hat or something. She smiled at the memory. I snorted slightly, picturing the sight for myself. As she slipped back into the story, her smile faded once again and Mocha had gone right up to this tombstone and was sniffing around at the ground right in front of it. It was then that I noticed that someone made a snow angel right there on top of the grave. It looked relatively small, child-sized, and it was fresh. It had obviously been made sometime after the snow stopped falling because I could see the dead grass poking through. She looked at me, her eyes wide and bewildered. Through my wine-induced haze, I thought I saw her tremble slightly. Well, that actually sounds sweet, I said, attempting both to comfort her and urge her on. I thought so too at first, she said, but then I realized something. She paused once again. The only footprints leading up to the grave were mine and Mocha's, and there were none leading away. If there was any doubt before, she was definitely trembling now. Whoever made the snow angel hadn't left any. Come now, human. A child-sized ghostly snow angel isn't that scary, is it? Maybe it's just a reminder that we are all around you, all the time. And you had better act right, or next time, you'll find a body in the snow, not an angel. But now, I believe it is enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the stories that I had for you tonight. And until next time... Stay spooky.